Anyone here love and respect Jesus Christ? Yeah, I think most hands go up. But he said some words that we may be familiar with, but I want us to allow them to settle in our hearts today because they are profound words. Words about his passion and his enthusiasm. Not about an it or a book, but about a person. In John 16, Jesus says these profound words. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, as the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus had just announced that he was leaving planet Earth. Jesus, the one that now we know has secured redemption for everyone who trusts in him. Jesus, who went to the cross and took the sin of the world. So if you're a Christian here today, you know that you are freely forgiven as we've been sung. Jesus, who was and is God, as he was on planet Earth, walking around demonstrating who God is. He says these extraordinary words. He's just told his disciples, I am about to go away. But there is one coming that actually his coming, in my absence, it's not just that he's going to continue the good thing of having God on earth, but actually it is to your advantage. It's to your advantage. Let that just sink in for a moment. If I was to say to you, we've just heard that next week, uh, I'm not going to preach, but we've actually got Jesus coming to preach. Yeah, it's a bit of a coup. You know, we've, we've got Jesus coming. He's in the flesh. Who here would be quite excited about that? But you know, Jesus would, what he's saying here is as good as that would be, actually, it's more amazing that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is here. Isn't that breathtaking? He said these words. He said, see, if I don't go, if I don't leave planet Earth, the Holy Spirit won't come in the way that I want him to come and that he needs to come. And so today I want us to get caught up in our hearts with this big question. Why was Jesus so profoundly passionate about the coming of the Holy Spirit? You see, when we, when we think about it, many of us think, you know, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, hmm. We sometimes think of the Spirit as an it rather than a person. We, we, we're clear on Jesus, but when we come to the Spirit, we can be, to be honest with you, a little bit mystic. And a little bit, we, we can go to one of either two camps. We can either get a bit weird and wacky, or we can just get a bit freaked out and scared. Whereas Jesus here doesn't want either of those responses. Today we're asking ourselves, well, if Jesus made such a big deal about the coming of the Spirit... We have to ask ourselves why. Why? Why was Jesus able to say these words with complete authenticity? And in order for us to understand why Jesus made such a huge deal about this, we have to understand the whole concept of the presence of God. The presence of God. You see, when Jesus was talking about the Spirit of God, he's talking about the profound known presence of God. The presence of God is a huge thing. Gordon Fee in his book says this, he says, presence is a delicious word because it points to one of our truly great gifts. Nothing else can take the place of presence. Not gifts, not telephone calls, not pictures, not mementos, not emails, nothing. Ask the person who has lost a, love, a, love, a lifelong mate what they miss the most, and the answer is invariably presence. When we're ill, we don't need soothing words nearly as much as we just need loved ones to be present. What makes shared life, games, walks, concerts, outings, and a myriad of other things so pleasurable? Presence. God, listen to this, God has made us this way. God has made every single human this way because he himself is a personal, relational being. 
See, the great problem with the fall, that's when Adam and Eve sinned, and sin infected the world in Genesis 3. The great problem with the fall is that we not only lost our vision of God, how we saw him, but listen to this, but also our relationship with him, and thus no longer knew his abiding presence. The theme of the presence of God is crucial to both the Old and the New Testaments, serving, in fact, as bookends to the Christian Bible. It begins in Genesis 2 and 3 with the creator of heaven and earth being present in the garden with those he created in his own image. And it concludes with the marvellous pictures of the renewed heaven and earth and the renewal of his presence that we see in the book of Revelation. You see, the Bible's so clear that when it talks about the Spirit of God, it's talking about the presence. Now, of course, God is at one level present everywhere, but there is this extraordinary similar truth, this parallel truth that we see in Scripture, that God makes himself known. He makes himself known through his presence. And if you were to summarize the whole Bible... In, in one big concept, it's this. The presence of God comes to planet Earth. Then the presence of God is lost on planet Earth. And then you see, when Jesus Christ comes and says these words, the reason that he is so excited, the reason that he makes such a big deal about the coming of the Spirit, the coming of the presence, is because that which was lost is now coming back. And you see, if we just rush, as I think Christians can do, we can just rush on to Pentecost. We rush straight on to that very famous Acts 1 and 2 in the Bible, which is a hugely important part of the Bible. And we look at things like that without first, as we start this journey, laying a broad foundation, laying a big picture foundation of the the coming, of the removal, and then of the restoring of the presence of God. You see, we won't quite understand why Jesus was so excited about the coming of the presence of God. Does that make sense? So today we're just going to lay a foundation. We're going to look at the presence of the presence. We're going to then look at the removal of the presence. And then we're going to look at the restoring of the presence. Let me just pray and then we'll just dive, dive into scripture. Lord, we love you. We say, like David, as the deer pants for the water, our soul longs for you. Lord, in this season where... Lord, often we start to think about holidays and just easing off. I want to ask that in the spirit, you would come into us afresh today and you would spark fresh passion for the holy God. Lord, we can't do anything apart from your help. And I ask you now to help me, Lord, as I endeavor to in some way speak about this most profound of truths, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Come and be with us, wonderful helper. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to say, I can't remember ever being so intimidated by a series as this one, in a good way. Because, you see, guys, our absolute desire as an eldership is that if, in the next few weeks, you just get more information in your brain, I will cry <laughs> with sadness. This is, our minds are wonderful gifts. And we've had so much truth in the last few months about Jesus and about the gospel and about what he's done for us. And that is absolutely vital. But I guess if I'm honest, my deepest heart cry is when I look across a room with hundreds and hundreds of men and women who know Jesus, is that in these days, in these weeks, is that God would absolutely come upon us with his presence in the, the like of which that we have never experienced. So I just want to be really open about that. I want to be open that we are living in urgent days. We are living in days where if ever we needed to see the returning, as it were, in the fullness of the power of God upon his church, as Simon was sharing just a moment ago, in so many ways it is now. Amen? It is absolutely now. So when God made the earth, it says in Genesis 1-2, who was hovering over the face of the earth at the beginning? The Spirit. So there we go, verse 2 of the Bible, there's the Holy Spirit. He's not some wacky little thing that Jesus started talking about. He's God. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's as much God as the Father and as the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was hovering, brooding over the face of the earth when God was creating planet Earth and all that now exists. But what we see is this, and this is, uh, this is breathtaking. 
is that God, with unfathomable kindness, he picks a people that become known as Israel. And hear this, they are no better than anyone else in the world. They're no better. They're no more holy. They are just as sinful and undeserving as Tom Shaw, Simon Redman, or anyone in this room, or anyone who will exist. But if you want to know the big picture of Christianity, this is what happens is that God, in his extraordinary kindness, he chooses our people, as we learnt last week, that he would so bless that they then would reflect that blessing in a thousand million different ways out into the world. And so the world would know that God is alive and well. That's what God said to Abraham. But you see, above all else, the thing if you want to understand What Israel were about, they were about sacrifice, they were about covenant, they were about lots of different things. But really at the absolute heart of who the people of God were, was that they were a people of the presence. That was ultimately who they were. And we see this in the scriptures in a couple of ways. We see it with individuals, and we also see it with the community at large. So if you have a Bible, we're going to just whip through a few scriptures just to whet your appetites, just to show you why Jesus was so incredibly passionate and excited about the returning of the presence of God. You see, what we see first of all was that the presence of God, the Spirit, came, to quote Nicky Gumbel, on particular people at particular times for particular purposes. So for example, there's so many different examples we could go today, but we'd be here all week. First of all, for example, in Deuteronomy 34 verse 9, we hear that Joshua, when he starts his leadership call, God, it says the spirit of wisdom came upon him. So say wisdom. Wisdom. I'm going to keep you awake today. Wisdom. The Spirit came upon him. Why? For the benefit of wisdom. Anyone here in any sort of leadership? Lots of hands are going to go up. Lots of hands. Yes? Who here needs wisdom? I do. You do. We all do. Joshua needed it and God knew that. And so God came upon him in the presence of God. The Spirit came upon him. We see in Deuteronomy 34.9, he came upon him to give him wisdom. Before the Spirit came, he didn't have wisdom. Then the Spirit came upon him and he gave him wisdom. Let's turn to Judges 3. The Judges is full, after Joshua, full of examples of the Spirit coming, the presence of God. Joshua 3.10. Othniel, that famous character, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. This is verse 9 of chapter 3. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He judged Israel. We have a magistrate in the church, and he's someone I know, Bill, who needs wisdom about how to to, uh, employ justice in a difficult situation. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel to give him the ability to judge correctly, to judge with wisdom. We then see if we turn over the page in Judges chapter 6 and verse 34. We then see here that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, it says, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and, the, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abazarites called out to follow him. So now we see a third benefit of the Spirit, the presence of God. He came upon, upon Gideon, who was a man known to be nervous and a bit timid, came upon him for leadership. He came upon him for leadership, and as a result of the presence of God and the Spirit upon him, people followed him. We then see in Judges 11... And verse 29, we saw a character called Jephthah. It says, verse 29 of of Judges 11, Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. He passed through Gilead and Manasseh. And he goes on to lead the people of God into an amazing victory. So now we see the Spirit of the Lord connected with victory. With wisdom, with judgment, with leadership, with victory. Then we see in Judges 14, verse 15, uh, in chapter 14 and 15, we see the Spirit of God comes upon a man named Samson, very famous man. And we see the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson for strength. Anyone here like a bit of strength? I would. All the men put their hands up. Yes, we'd like a bit of strength. The Holy Spirit came upon him. 
Verse 5 of chapter 14, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. They came to the vineyard of Timnah. But behold, a young lion came towards them, roaring. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Yeah, yeah, of course, we all tear young goats to pieces. I love this, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he'd done. But then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in his eyes. Cool! Can you imagine that? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you tear a lion that's attacking, and then the girl who's watching, she becomes your wife. Very impressive. The Spirit of the Lord then came on Samson. We read later on, uh, he bursts out of ropes. It says, with a jawbone, he knocked out a thousand men. It's extraordinary. Let's look at one more example. We see in uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the Spirit of the Lord came on men for the gift of prophecy. There's a very humorous section, a story. I love it, where there's a guy called Saul going to have a boo. Boo. Unfortunately, at this point, he's lost his way, and he's not a good leader, and he's full of jealousy towards David, the hero. Yay. And he's running after David, and and he's, he's obviously trying to kill him. But then this says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied over him instead. I love that. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? You're trying to deck someone and the Spirit comes on you and you end up going, oh, the Lord loves you. You know, it's not quite the intended point of his pursuit of this man. The Spirit of the Lord is amazing. And we could, we'd be here all day. But this is what I'm trying to say, is that Jesus understood this. He knew his Bible. He knew that the Old Testament who brooded the the earth came on individuals for specific reasons at specific times. But we also have to understand that Israel knew an amazing other side of the coin, if I might put it that way. See, the presence of God wasn't just about benefits, although that was part of the deal. The spirit of the, of the living God was a holy spirit. And you see, this particularly came through when the people of God encountered the Spirit and the glory of God when they were together. There's three main times that you see it. We see it when they're gathered around Sinai, when they've just come out of the Promised Land. We then see it when they're on their journey from the mountain to the Promised Land, where God the Spirit dwells in the tabernacle, the tent that they use to carry. But then finally we see that the Spirit of the Lord is also present when they finally come to build the temple. But this is what we have to understand. I know we're looking over lots of different things, and you can look over these in your own time. But this is the point. If we turn to 2 Chronicles, we see it summarized amazingly here. 2 Chronicles 7. By the way, if you've brought your Bible today, you know that we like Bible, so bring your Bible. We, we try to read as much as we can on Sundays. On 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1, it says this. This is once the temple has been built. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Look at this. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory, the Lord, Fill the Lord's house. You see, when the Spirit, when the presence of God came upon the gathered community, be it at the mountain, be it in the tent period in their life when they were nomadic, or when at the climax of their time as a people, when the temple was built, in each of those different situations, when God's presence came, we have to understand this. Listen, it was a holy and somewhat awesome and terrifying thing. See, the Spirit of God had clothed men and women for those specific circumstances that I've mentioned. But we also have to understand that the Spirit of God is a holy spirit. He is he's other to us. And all throughout the Old Testament, the people of God, if you spoke to them about who are you, who's your identity? You know, if we could have gone back in time and, and interviewed people from different languages and from different nations, they would have summarised themselves in different ways. You know, if we asked a French person here today, oh, France, tell us about France. You know, they talk about, I don't know, the Eiffel Tower and Euro Disney. But if you ask someone from Israel, tell us about Israel, without a doubt, every Israelite would have said, we're a people of the temple where God's presence is. And this was absolutely central to who they were. I'm not surprised. You know, I mean, we might boast in having Wembley Stadium or Big Ben or, I don't know, something like that. Can you, um, just try, 
Try and imagine what it would have been like to be a part of the people of Israel at this point in their history when they were the only people in the world who could with integrity say there is a physical building and without exaggerating or lying, this is the one place where the manifest spirit and presence of God is found. It was absolutely integral to their DNA. This was who they were. This was a people. I mean, this was, this was the absolute heartbeat of what it was to be an Israelite. Was that you were the place. This was the place in the Middle East where God was. And, and we see throughout scripture that God had always desired that this place would become the famous place that the world would flock to. But what we see after David's reign and the subsequent kings is that bit by bit by bit, the unthinkable happens. Is that these leaders, if you're a leader here today, listen to this, let this challenge us. These leaders start to do the unthinkable. They have God plus. God plus the God's of this world. No longer is my heart solely about Yahweh, about God, the one who has made his presence known. But now it's about him, yes, but let's just dabble a little bit in the world's gods. And because of this, because the leaders and therefore the people become infected with, as it were, divided hearts after repeated warnings through prophets like Jeremiah and Hosea and others, eventually, after centuries of the people of God, who are the people of the presence, eventually they're turning their backs on God, we see that God in the end is forced to bring judgment on the people of Israel. And around about 600 BC, several hundred years after the temple was built, the nation of Israel are physically removed out of the land that God had given them. The whole of the nation is decimated. And listen to this, the temple is destroyed. And the presence of God is gone from the face of the earth. Just imagine what it would have been like to be an Israelite. And you're taken into captivity. Maybe you, your loved ones have been killed. You're removed into captivity, into Babylon, hundreds and hundreds of miles away. And yes, you are now materially poor. But in the heart of every single Israelite, the biggest issue would have been this. God's left us. God's left us. This really happened. The presence of God. The one place on planet earth where the presence of God was known in extraordinary place was rubbed out. The lights on planet earth out the one place where if you were a human and you wanted to know where the true God was you made your way to Israel to the temple to where God was the lights went out I don't know if you've ever driven down a country lane and been stupid enough at night to turn your lights off for a second anyone here done that something uh, yeah I have it is both an exhilarating and terrifying experience for about six seconds, well, not six seconds, for about a quarter of a second, you're like, ah! And then you're like, quiet, get the lights on! Planet Earth enters into a season with driving without the lights on. The one nation on Earth that had the grace of God in that extraordinary way to have the presence of God, God just can't bear it any longer. Their hearts were so polluted. They claim to love Jesus. They claim to love God, Yahweh. But really their actions said these things are more important. And the Bible tells us this, is that if you're not in Christ now, and hear this, you are actually still in that place of isolation. And God's heart yearns for you today that he would be able to envelop you with his presence. Because every single human who has ever been born and will be born is designed to live 24-7 in the presence of a loving father. And you might be wealthy, 
You might have a big house. You might have a thousand friends on Facebook and 50 friends that come to soirees and are friends or work colleagues. And yet you can feel the most lonely person in the world. You can be married and have a good, loving spouse and have good, loving kids. But the Bible tells us that outside of Christ, the whole of the world is still walking in darkness, walking without the presence of its creator upon them and in them. And that is why in the heart of every person, every man and woman and child, there is this gnawing sense that something is not quite right. And the world tells us that the solution to that is to have more of what you already have. Well, if you had a bigger house, then that feeling would go away. If you had a husband or a a wife, or if you've got one, then kids or more kids, or if you had more money, or if you had more holidays in more exotic places, or if you had a new car, whatever, or a new phone, or a better job, or more status, or more people loving you, or more sense of a control of your life. The list goes on. Whatever you can fill in the blank, God, it says this in Ecclesiastes, has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. And what that's saying is this, is that actually no matter what we try and put in place, every single person who has ever lived and will ever live is born in that place that Israel's at at the moment. Born in a place because of our sin. Because we've done the same. We've turned our back on God's in a place of isolation. And deep down we all know that. I remember... 12 years ago, when I was looking into Christianity as an atheist, I was on the surface of it a successful, happy person. And yet I knew in the heart of my being, I thought, is my life really significant? I think that's the deepest question that every single human faces. Is my life really significant? If I were to die today, would anyone really notice? Would there be any real significance? A dear friend of mine who's not a Christian, I just pray he becomes a Christian. A few years ago, he told me about a dream he had. And in the dream, he said it was the most terrifying dream where he was simply in a void of nothingness. And it was just like in this dream, just he had this profound sense of, as it were, the conclusion of his worldview, which is nothing matters, there's no God total isolation and this is a real you know man's man he said he was absolutely terrified and I would just want to say if if he was terrified and for most of us we would say the same why is that the case it's because none of us were designed to live in isolation none of us were designed to live in this place but we see that Israel Israel enters into this place and hundreds And hundreds of years pass. Israel is brought back physically from exile. They come back to their land. They build a temple. But even when the people look at the temple, they go, it says in in, uh, Habakkuk, I think it is, or in Haggai, they they say, did anyone remember the old temple that Solomon built? Does anyone look at this one? And in effect, they say, this one is very unimpressive. Because the presence of God has not come back. And in their hearts, in the people of God, there is this deep ache that the world right now still feels a deep ache that we almost get used to at times. An ache of, is this, is this really what it's meant to be about? There's material things here, but there's this deep ache. And we see hundreds and hundreds of years, the Bible just says hundreds of years of silence and darkness. And then, in a stable in the Middle East, 2,000 years ago, A baby is born whose name is Jesus. Emmanuel, which means... When Jesus walked this earth, some of the first words he said, John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. But you listen to this, you have the light of life. Jesus said, listen to this, he said, you can destroy this temple and in three days 
God will raise it up. What's he saying? He's saying this, is that as great as the temple was, it was always a foreshadow of the true place where God and man would meet. Jesus. That when Jesus came to this earth, when he burst onto the scene 2,000 years ago, the reason that it was such a big deal, the reason that Christians get so excited about it, is because he unashamedly said, as Hebrews says, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said it in a hundred different ways. He was saying this, the age of the, re- of the removal of the presence of God from planet Earth is over. I'm here. God is now on Earth. I am here so that the world can see truly who God is. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, in so many ways, he's demonstrating perfectly so that none of us could ever claim who is God, exactly who is God, because the Bible tells us that Jesus was both fully God as well as fully man. And so Jesus, we see, he's changed everything. But this is where it gets even more exciting. So why is it then, if we come back to our original question today, from the passage in John, where Jesus says, he's just said, I'm now leaving... So the presence has just come back, but he's now saying, I'm leaving. But he says, it's to your advantage I go, so that if I go, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God will come. You see, Jesus, Jesus knew his Bible. And Jesus knew, therefore, that for for hundreds and hundreds of years, planet Earth had been without the presence of God. And he had come in order to provide For us to come before the Father, as we've heard today, when he went to the cross, he took your sin and my sin, he paid the price. But Jesus, as fully man, how did Jesus live a perfect life? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just read the book of Acts. Every other word, almost, is the Spirit. It says that Jesus was anointed with the Spirit. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. That Jesus had the Spirit come upon him in the form of a dove at his baptism. It says that Jesus healed by the Spirit. That he raised the dead by the Spirit. That he didn't sin by the Spirit. That Jesus went to Calvary by the Spirit. That he was ultimately raised from the dead by the Spirit. And he knew this. Jesus, might I say to use the word of this series, he was the perfect man who was drenched, say drenched, drenched, baptised, flooded, immersed with the presence of God. You see, in the Old Testament, it'd be like splashes. You know, it'd be like drips, like on particular people. Oh, there's a, oh, it's gone again. And then Jesus comes on earth. And he models the most breathtaking thing is that now the Holy Spirit, who is both scary and awesome, and yet also the one who brings the most glorious benefits that we've learned through the Old Testament, now the fulfillment of the ages is here. And Jesus himself spent his whole life desiring, craving, drinking from, making time for the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, I can imagine with a twinkle in his eye when he said these words, do you know what? You might not believe me, but it's to your advantage I go. So that I go so that then I can pour him out on you. You see, the beginning of Mark, John the Baptist, he said these words about Jesus. He said, I have baptised with water for repentance, but he who's coming, i.e. Jesus, listen to this, he will baptise with the Holy Spirit. Think about that. That John the Baptist, who Jesus said, those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist, his summary of what Jesus would do on planet Earth, he didn't say Jesus would go to the cross and die, actually. He didn't say that in that moment. He didn't say Jesus is going to heal loads of people. The words that John the Baptist chose to summarise Jesus' ministry was this. He will baptise with the Holy Spirit. He says, I spent my ministry baptising people in water. But that's just a, a symbolic reflection of the greater glory, which is Jesus, God on earth, himself one drenched in the Spirit. But then, 
calling an army across the world by grace of undeserving people like you and me to then enter into a life of ongoing drenching and being baptised by the Holy Spirit. And that's why when we get to the book of Acts, you might just want to turn there. Acts chapter 1, Jesus, knowing that the disciples, as it says in the end of John, had had the Holy Spirit breathed on them, says in John chapter 20, it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I believe that's when the disciples were born again. He says the Spirit was breathed on them. You think that's amazing? Wow! Jesus has breathed the Holy Spirit on you. Anyone's, that sounds pretty exciting to me. So they know something of the Spirit because Jesus has breathed it on them, whatever that means. I think that's when they actually became to saving faith, my personal opinion. But then, some of the last words, actually, that Jesus said, we all say that it's, that it's the Great Commission, that his last words. They weren't, actually. His last words, after coming back from the dead, he says this. He says, he says he, verse 4 of chapter 1, and while staying with them, he ordered them. Say, ordered. Ordered. He ordered them. He didn't suggest. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And then they change the subject. They start talking about Jesus restoring the kingdom. He says, don't change the subject. And verse, uh, verse 8 says, you will receive power. Say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And most of us will know that they then thought, well, this sounds amazing. We've had the Spirit breathed on us, but Jesus is talking about being baptised in the Spirit. I wonder what that means. And so they gather themselves together in the upper room and they pray like crazy. It seems for days and days and days. And then Acts chapter 2, one of the best chapters in the Bible. I love it. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Oh, we're all together in one place. Interesting. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Sounds scary. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled, baptised, drenched, immersed, overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. And, he, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The whole of Jerusalem is flummoxed. What is going on? They're so filled with the Holy Spirit, they even seem as if they're intoxicated. So people say, they're drunk. And he says, no, it's only in the morning. They're not drunk with, with wine. Something else is happening. The thing that Jesus was really excited about, the thing that John the Baptist said that Jesus would do, is actually happening. And so Peter, blunder boy, in all other circumstances, now filled with the Spirit, suddenly starts getting things right, stands up, picks the right scripture, he says, and he quotes the Old Testament. Because he knows that the coming of the Spirit was not some little afterthought that God had. It was the great fulfilment of the ages, in which, why, in which is why he says in Joel, in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And it says in verse 32, Peter explaining what happens, he says, This Jesus God's raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing. It couldn't be clearer that Jesus was drenched in the Spirit. He then died, was raised to life, ascended to heaven and then after promising it, he then pours out the Spirit on thousands of people who don't deserve it but have poured out the Holy Spirit upon them and they go from being gibbering wrecks to being world changers. Who wants a bit of that? Me please. Yes, I would like some. It sounds amazing. This is why Jesus was so excited. This is why he said, you might not believe me, but you know what? As good as it is as having me around physically, it says in John, he will come into you. Ah! This is amazing! These Christians, we just get so blasé about what it is to be a Christian. The Spirit of God will come into you. He will change you. If you don't know what it is to be a Christian, it is, I say this virtually every week at the moment, it is not changing a political party or changing from Portsmouth to Chelsea. You know, it's not about that. It is changing radically by the power of God. Do you know, you can't, you can't convert yourself. You can't say, I'm going to choose this. God has to do it to you. 
So if you're here today and you think, I don't know if I'm a Christian, you need to say, God, God, make me, make me have this experience. Let, let me be someone who is born again, who has my entire, my entire existence changed. Because to have the person of the Spirit of God in you, the same Spirit who brooded over the earth in you, changes things, let's just say. If you're a Christian here and, and you can testify that since knowing Christ and having the Spirit come in you, your life has changed. Put your hand high in the air, please. Yes. It, you, it, if you are truly born again, if you are truly someone who the Spirit of God has come in you, you've been breathed on, and then you've entered into your life of a life of saying, Lord, as great as it is, I just want to be drenched, baptised, not just in a one-off thing, but for that, all of my life. Do you realise that this experience, this encountering of the living God is not just something that happened then and it's not just something that is a one-off occasion. It is something God wants to do right here, right now. And even as I'm saying this, before we even get to pray for you, some of you right now, the Spirit of God is tumbling upon you in the unseen realm. Even now as I'm saying this, some of you who have been dry and you've lost your first love and you've just been in church, to be honest with you, our God, our wonderful Father is coming today and he's renewing you. I absolutely know it. I can, I can see it. I can see our wonderful spirit. That's what he does. He makes us in love with Jesus. He makes us mad about Jesus. He takes away our earthly concerns. That's why we give lots of money as Christians, which in theory. That's why we do. Because we used to care about the things the world cared, cared about, but then suddenly everything's changed. Suddenly it's like, to be honest with you, money, how, how unimportant is that? I'm giving my life to Christ. I'm just, I just want more of him. You know when you taste something really good in life, do you want more of it? Yes. The Holy Spirit, I hope this isn't dishonest, it's like that. As, as, as we started the meeting by saying, taste and see. We've tasted of his goodness. And God is ushering us in. He's saying, listen, if you aren't hungry and thirsty today as a Christian or as a non-Christian to have all the fullness of the power of God upon your life, then I want to stir a hunger in you in these days. God would say that to us. He would say, if we are allowing things in our life, listen to this, things in our life to dull our hunger, that, you know, good things often, good things, if we are allowing those things to dull our hunger for the presence of him, you know, it could be that we have so much of the presence of our family, so much the presence of our children, so much the presence of our friends, so much time at work, so much time watching TV, so much time on the internet, so much time sleeping, so much time in the gym. If we, that's how, that's how actually often things work, is we just fill our lives with lots of good things. And at the end of our life, Listen to me, listen to me. When we face God, as Dave Campbell did a week and a half ago, I want to say, Lord, I spotted that trap and I made decisions to make my life as simple as it could be, to strip it down so that I wasn't just, as it were, eating things like eating McDonald's spiritually, things that, yeah, keep me... I just don't want, I want to, I want to create a hunger in my life of desperation for the presence of God. And do you know why? And that's because that's what Jesus was like. And that's what now, if you're a Christ follower, he beckons us into. Let's stand, shall we? Even now. Maybe Ollie, just, just Ollie on the guitar. Listen, we're not going to hype this up. We're not in a hurry. We're going to we're talking about the Holy Spirit for weeks and weeks. Anyone excited about that? I mean, this is just, this is, this is huge, guys. Listen to me. Even now, just, it says, this, when the Spirit came on Jesus, he said it came as a dove, okay? I know for some of you, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, you've, had all, you've seen bizarre things that weren't helpful. You've had bad teaching. You've had wacky things that, were probably just fleshly things going on. See, when the Spirit came on Jesus, it came on him like a dove. Okay? It was real, but it was gentle and yet life-changing. And right now, we're just going to, all of us, if you know Jesus, all of us are going to respond in these moments as Ollie just gently plays in a moment. Right now, you, just, you start to just ask, 
If in you a hunger has been stirred, if in you even there hasn't, isn't a hunger, ask for God to start a hunger in your heart, soul right now for the presence. Do you understand? If you're a Christian, Luke 11, Jesus says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does our Father in heaven love to give the Spirit to those who ask? Some of you, to be honest with you, you might have even had great fathers. <coughs> but today, our Father in heaven, He is more perfect and kind and loving than even our tiny brains can comprehend. Right now, I want to invite you, O oh church, to just, you just talk to God. He's here. I know many of us are dry and there is no hint of condemnation from our God today. Do you understand that? He adores you. I think of the love I have for Daisy and Lily and it is crippling. And then I think of the love that is a million times more than that that my Father has for me. And I approach Him today with boldness and I say, Lord, pour the Spirit upon me. Please, don't let any voice of the past or enemy now cloud the beauty of our Father and His love for you. Right now, I just, just pray, just present yourself before Him. You might just want to hold out your hands. Sometimes it helps just to engage with the Spirit. Right now, Spirit of God is in this place and he is about to come upon many even now <laughs> the joy of his presence there he is the joy of the lover the joy of the lover he loves you and you men who, who try to be tough today God is ministering to that inner part of your soul that he has shaped that needs hourly filling with the oil of his presence. No longer is the presence of God in a building in the Middle East. It is all across this room. Even now, for some of you, he is turning the light back on afresh for many of you right now right now I say Holy Spirit right now fall on this room right now in the name of Jesus Holy One we thank you you who brooded over the waters brood over your people just drink right now just drink from him. Thank you, Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. I see heavy rucksacks, dirty, heavy, stone-filled rucksacks. The Spirit, right now, is removing them off. Lots of you in this room right now. Lots of you are just way down. And it's been choking. It's been choking. It's been choking the things, the cares of the world. And even now, Holy Spirit, fall in this room. Oh. You say your burden is light. Your yoke is easy. Fall afresh, O Lord. Fall afresh, O Lord, upon your bride, O Lord. Fall afresh, O Lord. Rush upon us all,
we present ourselves before a holy and loving God. We confess our thirst to you. No one like you, Lord, Holy Spirit. Fill us anew, 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 we pray. Sing that together. Fill us anew, fill us anew, fill us anew. Thank you, Lord. Fill us anew, fill us anew, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. Just got a word here from Rich. Isaiah says uh, thus says the Lord where is your mother's bill of divorce with which I put her away I just feel that there's someone here that feels that they've done something Hmm. that has disqualified them from their ministry and just God would want to release them today to just just come into what Hmm. Tom's been saying this this morning and just Hmm. be released hasn't divorced you <laughs> wonderful there, yeah. yes thank you Let's just linger for a moment the Bible talks about gifts from God and that was just we call a word of knowledge which is God whispering to one of his beloved for the benefit of others so if you think that might be you actually don't despise it just receive it now our wonderful Jesus' blood covers every mistake. This isn't something we earn. This isn't something that we strive our way into. This is the wonderful invitation of grace. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we we present ourselves before you. Lord, we say we sense in a way we're at the start of a journey that we're so excited about. Jesus, we thank you that your passion for the Spirit is infectious. And even I pray in our small groups this week, at Envision tonight, as your church connects, I want to thank you that it says that the Spirit enables us to cry, Abba. Some of you need to hear that. Really need to hear that.